Hello and a warm welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. Today I am delighted to be bringing you a fascinating discussion on navigating the complexities of metastatic colorectal cancer, from genetic mutations to targeted therapies. This podcast has been funded by Pierre Fab. The position and discussions might not represent the position of Pierre Fab. Joining me for today's episode, I am honoured to be joined by two renowned experts in the field of medical oncology, who will explore the latest developments in the management of metastatic colorectal cancer, with a specific focus on BRAF-E mutation and the current treatment guidelines. Our first guest is Dr. Alina Elez, a distinguished medical oncology consultant at Val de Hebron University Hospital and a senior investigator at Val de Hebron Institute of Oncology in Spain. Dr. Elez specializes in clinical trials related to molecular therapy with a primary focus on the signaling pathway of the mitogen activated protein kinase in metastatic colorectal cancer. She has made significant contributions to the advancement of research programs targeting the mutated BRAF CCR patient population. Dr. Elaz also has an extensive re- record of high impact publications in her field. Our second guest that joins us is Dr. Michelle DeCruz, who is head of the Gastrointestinal Oncology Unit and Gastrointestinal Oncology Tumor Board at Gustave Rousset and is also Professor of Oncology at Paris Saclay University in France. Dr. DeCruz's research focuses on the management of various oncological diseases, including metastatic colorectal cancer, locally advanced and metastatic pancreatic carcinoma, biliary tract carcinoma, heptocellular carcinoma, and treatment of neuroendocrine tumors. His substantial body of work is reflective in his extensive publication history. Thank you both for taking the time to join us for this conversation with the MJ. I'm delighted to have you both with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. So firstly, uh, if I could come to you, Michelle, first, could you just define to us what exactly is metastatic colorectal cancer? And can you shed some light on why it is such a challenging condition to treat? Yes, it's really a major problem because um, we know that uh, colorectal cancer in terms of incidence remains a disease that is very uh, frequently uh, seen in European countries, not only in European countries, but at least in European countries. And the fact is that when we uh, perform the diagnosis of uh, colorectal cancer, in 40% of the patients, there are already metastases that are uh, present. Uh, what does it mean by metastasis? It means that some cells of the, of the primary tumor uh, are developing in other organs for metastatic colorectal cancer. It's mainly uh, the liver with the liver metastasis, but also, and especially for rectal tumor uh, as a primary uh, lung metastasis. And there are also problems in the abdominal cavity with the development of peritoneal carcinomatosis. And the fact is that for this kind of, uh, of uh, diseases, we need uh, a combination of uh, medical treatment and as strong as possible medical treatment to allow in some cases uh, secondary surgeries that is the only way to have uh, hope of cure for, for these patients. So is it mainly down to the challenge of the treatment or is there also uh, challenges around the kind of uh, diagnosis and identifying 
The fact is that in uh, all the European countries, there are at this moment uh, screening uh, processes that have been implanted, uh, and especially to do the diagnosis quite early uh, when the disease is limited to the colon and when the, the hope of cure is, is very high. But the fact is that the, the test that is uh, used is uh, the fecal uh, occult uh, blood test that is not very uh, convenient. It is not it's more convenient because now we are using an immunological test. But the fact is that when you are telling to uh, people that are absolutely, uh, that have no symptoms to take uh, their stools and to take a sample of their stools, and this is not very, how can I say that, uh, acceptable uh, for a population of, of, uh, of people. And the level of answer to the test is about in European countries is about 35-40%. So it means that there are a lot of patients without any screening. And then for these patients in uh, half of the cases, when the diagnosis is done, metastasis are already present. And we have to consider also the fact that uh, when the tumor is resected, in some cases, there is a possibility of recurrence with metastasis. So it means that we see a lot of patients with metastasis of colorectal cancer. Thank you. And if I could come to you, Elena. For patients who carry a mutation in their BRAF gene, particularly the V600E mutation, what does this mean for the progression of their colorectal cancer? Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, we have to consider that in colorectal cancer, we have different hallmarks, but uh, two of them have been widely described in CRC, and that is uh, angiogenesis and that is proliferation. So several targeted patients have been developed towards this uh, mechanisms in colorectal cancer, and the MAP kinase pathway is fundamental for the proliferation of the cell. So the MAP kinase pathway is guided mainly by the EGFR receptor, and then we have a downstream of several proteins with different activations, one to the other, and that means ARAS and RAS, PIRRAF, then we have MEC, and finally ERP and the transcription of the signal. So when a tumor has a BRAF, this is e mutation, we have to consider that mutations in BRAF, it's quite common across several solid tumors, and uh, colorectal cancer is one of these. So we have different classes of BRAF mutations, particularly three classes, what we call class one, class two, and class three. And the behavior is different from one to the other. So BRAF is 600 e is a class one mutation. What it means that uh, basically uh, we have a mutation in, in the gene that it's the one responsible of the activation of the protein. So once we have this mutation, there's an activation, as I have meant, to, of the downstream pathway and they function as monomers. And that's why BRAF inhibitors have a particular role in these types of mutations, but in contrast to other mutations like class 3 mutations. And if I could come to Michelle, do you feel that there's challenges there with the uh, identification of these classifications of these mutations? Do we face challenges with those that have already spread to other organs? Uh, yes, we, we know for a quite long period of time now that this uh, this mutation of, as Elena has already said, this mutation of BRAF V600E is something that has a very, very strong impact on the prognosis of the patients because the activation signals that are given to the cell 
are uh, in favor of proliferation, metastasis, uh, invasion. So it means that this is a percentage of patients with a very aggressive tumor. And we know that in these patients, really, I would say the two first lines of treatment are very important because we will not see or only a few of these patients uh, in third or fourth or even fifth line of, uh, of treatment as we see uh, patients without this, uh, this mutation. So this is a strong driver and this is a, a something that needs a, a specific treatment. So would you say that by identifying this mutation, you actually can give the patients a more targeted therapy option? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I, I would say uh, one of the first steps in favor of really personalized medicine, precision medicine in the treatment of colorectal cancer. And I am sure that Elena will be uh, completely, will agree completely on that. I cannot agree more. Indeed, it has represented a paradigm change in the treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer. Uh, so we have now fundamental biomarkers in order to prescribe the treatment. And uh, I would say that together with the microsite that instability, the Bifractice standard, it has been one of the first pred uh, positive predictive biomarkers of response to a targeted agents. Uh, to date, uh, we had only negative predictive factors of response to anti-GVAR agents, what it means KRAS and RAS. It was controversial, the, the role of BRAF. But the ESMO guidelines incorporated uh, in 2016 the termination, the test of BRAF 600E because of its bad prognosis component. But uh, with the updated guidelines, uh, we have the recommendation for targeted agents in the second and third light of treatment for these patients. And in terms of people's day-to-day -day practice, do we feel that the understanding of this importance to test for this mutation is reaching healthcare professionals? Is the accessibility to such testing, does it differ across various regions, Eleanor? Yeah, I think now uh, with uh, the ESMO recommendations introducing the, the test, not only for its prognosis implications, but for the chance of receiving a targeted agent, it's quite common. It's widely used, worldwide indeed, and it's quite an easy test. So uh, it is true that the way in which we can test BRAF, we have several techniques. We could do just a PCR with a kit that's very simple, and we can perform that in almost all the hospitals. And then we have the chance of an NGS testing that it's maybe this is not accessible for all the sites, but uh, for the exons 2, 3, and 4 of KRAS, exons 2, 3, and 4 of NRAS, and exon 15 of BRAF, what it is, the BRAF is 600E, is uh, widely used, and I would say that the majority of the sites have the results of the test before taking the decision at the frontline setting. So the amount of material that we have, it's not a lot. So that's an, an additional advantage of uh, doing the test. And I would say that everybody has the knowledge about how important is this, this oncogene and the implications that has for taking our decisions. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree. And the fact it, it has, at least in France where, where I am working, it has taken some time to implement the Keras mutation research. But as the, the tests are not really uh, close, I would say in terms of technical aspects, uh, we move very rapidly from only RAS mutations determination to combo of RAS and BRAF uh, mutation. And I, I agree, I think uh, almost all the, 
the hospitals uh, in European country are able to to perform the test without any problem uh, and without it would be probably better to do to do next generation sequencing but it's a little bit more difficult to to find finances for that uh, for BRAF mutation it's not a problem it is it is uh, it is done and can I go back to something you mentioned, Michelle, about the precision medicine? Do you feel that these advances you talk about and how this aligns then to tailoring treatments, do we feel that individuals still poorly understand on the front line what healthcare professionals are trying to achieve? Do we still think that those advances are still in their infancy or do we think that, that there are good developments going ahead? I would say the fact is that when I compare to what my colleague working in the field of lung oncology are doing, we are uh, really not in the same position because as Elena said, uh, in the past we had only um, Keras uh, or RAS mutation and this is not a positive predictive factor but uh, a negative predictive factor. So it means that anti-GFR are not working in this patient. It's not a way to select patients for good response. It's a way to avoid giving a drug that is not active. For BRAF mutation, it's completely different because we know and we were a little bit disappointed in the past because when you are giving uh, an anti BRAF to these patients alone, this is not working. So uh, at, uh, we, we were disappointed when we compare to the results obtained in the treatment of melanoma, for instance, with the same mutation. Uh, so the story of colorectal cancer was a little bit different, but now we are uh, there. And there, I mean, this is the fact that in several line treatment, we have now a combination that is working specifically in this type of patients without the use of chemotherapy, but giving only to these patients targeted therapy. So if you take these patients, BRAF mutated patients with MSI tumor uh, that, that are treated with in first line in metastatic disease with, with pembrolizumab, it means that we, we have now a part, only a part, and we hope in the in the future with new drugs uh, such as uh, anti-KRAS uh, uh, G2C, for instance, that we will have more and more patients in whom uh, the, the treatment is defined by specific uh, mutation, abnormalities, or whatever, or at uh, least biological-driven decisions. And Alina, do you have anything you'd like to add on that? In it, I, I fully agree. It is true that it has been really challenging to incorporate uh, biomarkers to the treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer. And that has an explanation. Colorectal cancer is an heterogeneous tumor. So uh, it's not easy to develop targeted agents in this particular tumor type. And as Michelle has mentioned, the BRAF story is an example about that. So uh, the, how BRAF inhibitors compounds have been developed in colorectal cancer is a proof of concept about how difficult it is to treat this illness and how important it is to understand the underlying biology of each tumor type. So in this case, we know that in colorectal is not enough using a BRAF inhibitor in monotherapy. We know that, as I mentioned at the very beginning, that the EGFR pathway and the proliferation is fundamental, and that's something that we have also to... Uh, we need to make a blockade of, of uh, that axis, and that's why we require an anti-GFR plus a BRAF inhibitor, but that's a translation of precision medicine. So we need to incorporate translational research when we develop clinical trials. We need to incorporate biomarkers to understand how these drugs work. And uh, finally, we have these uh, fine-tuning results 
uh, that in, as uh, Michelle mentions, in MSI high VRAP mutated population that are the ones with worst prognosis ever, we have now a different panorama. So we, we have changed from an overall survival of months to maybe years on indeed uh, have the choice to stop the treatment in MSI high population. So I think precision medicine is now a reality in colorectal cancer, but we still need to improve. Um, based on that concept, do you feel then the current medical guidelines, you mentioned ESMA guidelines, they, they talk about the importance of screening, I guess, for this mutation, but do you think there's a sufficient information there for healthcare professionals to, to deliver the best treatment and best outcomes for, for patients with a disease? Uh, if I could come to Michelle first. I would say yes. Um, the fact is that the, the recent ESMO uh, guidelines uh, on the treatment of colorectal cancer have been published uh, a little bit uh, more than one year ago. So they are uh, dealing with all these aspects of the treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer. And the fact is that the guidelines of this more are more and more uh, professional. Their development is uh, very specific with a very high quality. I am a member of the ESMO uh, Guidelines Committee uh, clinical guidelines, but, but the fact is that I can tell you it's more and more difficult to do the guidelines because there are a lot of steps of control and why are you saying that and so on. So I would say really in terms of quality, they reach... Uh, very, very high level of quality. And I know that a lot of medical oncologists everywhere in Europe and outside of Europe are considering these guidelines as very, uh, very useful for, for their clinical practice. And they use them. And I think it's a way to improve the level of knowledge and the quality of treatment of our patients. Absolutely. And I think it's a good point that everyone engages with those updates as and when they come up so that they are best informed. So considering the treatment options then, if I can come to you, Eleanor, or the recent developments with Encorafenib, this broad-label drug that was given uh, marketing authorization about three years ago. These have proved successful for melanoma. Is it harder for healthcare professionals to know exactly which circumstances we should therefore prescribe this medicine and its multiple indications? Yes, in this sense, and again, it's important to mention the ASMO guidelines that have been recently updated. I think the ASMO guidelines, I really endorse the words that we have mentioned before, uh, are built and agreed with level one evidence for these recommendations. So the recommend, I think it's clear we had the choice of treating patients with encorafenib cetuximab in the second line and in the third line. This was based on a phase three randomized clinical trial that demonstrated the superiority of the treatment combination of VRAF uh, EGFR inhibitor-based therapy compared to what at that time point was the control arm that was a combination of agnotic and anti-EGFR treatment because at that time point when the, the study was developed, at the end of the day, VRAF is kind of immutated colorectal cancer was a RAS-Wall type. Uh, colorectal cancer. So that's why that was a recommendation because uh, maybe it's uh, difficult to understand this design, but at that time point was the control arm. And the superiority is huge in all the terms in overall survival, operation-free survival and response rate. And whether we have to prescribe in the second or in the third line is something that this year at SMOGI, we had a presentation of the results of Beacon trial in this sense. And from my point of view, if we have a clear driver for metastatic cortical cancer, like it is the case, the sooner, the better for the patient. And my recommendation would be to prioritize it because of the bad prognosis of this patient population as earlier as possible. 
So I think it's clear the recommendation of the ESMO guidelines, uh, level of evidence 1A, and is clear also for the general practitioners to recommend to identify the patients and recommend the treatment. I think that's pretty clear, but Michelle, do you have anything you'd want to add? No, 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 I totally agree. And with this uh, very clear presentation of the results of the Beacon trial, that has changed everything, I would say, for, for our patients. Just a, a point maybe that I would like to do is about first line, because we said uh, previously, but maybe I, I would like to say it again. Uh, in first line, BRAF mutation is a problem, I would say, and we have to, to give chemotherapy plus bevacizumab to these patients. But in patients with MSI and BRAF, we know that the fact that they are MSI is something that is predominant, and these patients have to be treated with the immunotherapy and pembrolizumab, and it has been proven in the past that immunotherapy, uh, immune checkpoints are active in this patient at the same level as patients without this uh, BRAF mutation. So it means in first line, the presence of BRAF mutation does not change anything in terms of choice of the treatment that needs to be uh, pembrolizumab. Thanks for providing that clarity. So let's take the patient perspective. I think it's always important to look at the experience for the patients and they themselves, how they understand their condition. Do you feel that there are any challenges there where patients maybe don't understand or don't have access to tests? Or do you feel that they have informed decision processing, that there's this collaborative discussion with clinicians to make sure that they get the most effective and targeted treatments? I don't know how it is in Spain. I would say in France, I am not sure that the patients are really aware of these, uh, I would say, specific uh, problems of treatment. I rarely see patients telling me, okay, uh, doctor, you are telling me that I have a BRAF mutated tumor, so it means that my prognosis is poorer than I believe. Uh, no, I would say the, the, the knowledge of this uh, did not reach uh, uh, the majority of the patients. There are patients, you know, now with uh, internet that are looking at everything on the internet uh, uh, and some, sometimes they find things that are completely crazy. But, uh, and I always uh, ask to my patients, uh, go to internet, no problem. But if you see something, you have to discuss that with me because I can give you explanations that are interesting for you to, to better understand what you have seen on the internet. But I would say that this, again, it's, it's a rare event that I see a patient coming to my consultation and telling me, okay, I've seen that I have a BRAF mutation. So does it mean, doctor, that you will give me at some time a combination of Vancorafenib and Cetuximab. At this time, it, it never happened to me. Maybe, Elena, it happened for, for you. I don't know. In Spain, we have difficult situation in the sense that we have the approval for the treatment combination, but not the reimbursement. So we have to apply in a single basis for each patient if we consider the patient is candidate for the treatment. So we can... It is clear is that these patients at any time point of the illness, they need to receive a treatment combination of BRAF in three October with anti-gevaration. So this is fundamental and it's important not to lose this opportunity. Day by day, we have uh, patients that are more informed and also the scientific societies, what it means, ESMO, ASCO, the National Medical Societies of Oncology are working in shared decisions and incorporating also in clinical trials, patient reported outcomes and so on. And for example, one added value of this treatment combination is, uh, is the safety and the tolerance uh, to the treatment. 
So uh, I think it's our responsibility also as physicians to try to warrant accessibility of innovation, uh, particularly when it is differential in terms of efficacy uh, for patients, but patients and, and uh, treating physicians, nurses will have to work all together to warrant this opportunity because sadly is not equal uh, around the world. And is there anything else that still needs to be done then to bring that latest innovation to patients to help them? Well, I think it's important to stress the participation and the enrollment of patients in clinical trial. This is the best way to have access to innovation. And indeed, I was involved in, in phase one clinical trials with Encorafini from the very beginning. And you see this promising activity from the very beginning. So we as physicians and researchers, I think this is a bottom message very important. As Michelle has mentioned, in the frontline setting, we still have has a lot to cover for viral mutated population. We have now very interesting clinical trials that seem to be promising with targeted agents for viral disease e population. And we have to warrant the access to these uh, clinical trials for, uh, for our patients. So including patients in clinical trials is important. And also once these drugs are approved, uh, we have to be responsible with the post-approval. Data sharing is important to develop good studies based on real-world data and generate real-world evidence is also important and may help also to have access to this country that may have a limitation for patients to be treated with these compounds. Thank you. And Michelle, do you have any last thoughts around what still needs to be done? Yeah, I totally agree with, with Elena. The fact is that the, the promotion of clinical trial is something that is very important. And I would say that I am always trying to, to propose to my patients the, the trials that are open in, the, in my unit. And sometimes they say no. And uh, in the French law, when they say no, we cannot say anything and we don't have even to ask why they say no. But I am always a little bit disappointed because I, I consider, as Elena said, that it is a very good opportunity for them to receive new drugs that could be active uh, against their, their, their disease. So the other point that I would like to, to, to make is it's not very strong in France, but uh, we have seen for, for uh, HIV uh, story that the power of the patients' uh, associations could be very uh, useful, at least it was in France. And we did not reach the same level of activity and power, and power in terms of uh, the treatment of, of cancer and especially in colorectal cancer. We have some... Uh, some 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 associations in France, but with with they are lacking a little bit presence when there are discussions with the health authorities, and I think it could be improved. Yes, and I think you know power of the patient advocate has significant impact. So increasing that disease awareness amongst patients and help build their understanding will have bigger impact across that communication between patient and practitioner. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me for today's discussion with EMJ. I think that nicely concludes today's episode. So thank you to Dr. Elena Ellers and Dr. Michelle Ducroux for joining us today and providing such a clear insight to the challenges and future perspectives for this podcast on navigating the complexities of metastatic colorectal cancer from genetic mutations to targeted therapies. So just to extend my uh, gratitude again for you both sharing your insights with our audience today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can tune in more for EMJ podcasts through your preferred podcast platform or by visiting emjreviews.com. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.